Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 8 through 24. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. Uh, We'll have it all up here so you can kind of read along with us. But just turning to the scriptures, it helps us to uh, train our minds to be able to look at the Word of God. Uh, We're going to continue in our inventory sermon series that we started last week. And some of you might not know the reason, and we want to explain it again, as Pastor Bo explained the last week. The reason why we are starting this series called Inventory is that I think it's good, right, coming out of this post out of the COVID and now entering into the post-COVID season, hopefully, or as we're praying, some people are saying there's going to be a sixth wave, but we're praying that it will not in Jesus' name. But one of the things that happens is that it is really easy to just rely upon the things that we know, but we haven't really taken a time to examine and to reflect in our lives where we are. And so that's why when Pastor Boy and I were talking about what sermon series we should do right before the 50 Days of Freedom, it was very obvious to us, in order for us to accomplish what we want to accomplish for the 50 Days of Freedom campaign, for it to be very powerful for you and for us as a church, it is vital, absolutely critical, that we take some time to examine our lives. Oftentimes, we don't know how you're doing in some of these areas that are supposed to help you to grow then you're not going to be able to know what it is that you got to do or what it is that you got to be able to respond to so that God can work in your life. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to spend these next couple weeks, as we started last week, for these three parts, we are trying to help you to take an inventory of your life from where you are. That's why last week we talked about the growth inventory to see how are you doing spiritually are you growing and pastor bo he mentioned how my growth our growth is the sum of our godly character and godly lifestyle the gospel lifestyle and so when we start growing in christ likeness we start growing in this character that reflects christ then we can be certain that we're heading in the right direction if some of us have been struggling we go back to some of our old sins Some of us, because of COVID, we have just kind of relegated to a lot of laziness and other things. Then we we need a checkup to say, hey, we need to keep on growing spiritually because we cannot just be comfortable with where we are. And so what we're going to do is for the next two weeks now, today I'm going to talk about the generosity inventory. And next week we're going to talk about the grit inventory, this idea of perseverance, learning how to have grit through some of the difficult times of your life. And so that will lead us then to the 50 days of freedom. And that once again, you've heard it from Pastor Bo, you probably heard it from different people, your mentors, your disciples, but I cannot stress how important this 50 days of freedom campaign will be as we start in several weeks. And can I implore you and encourage you that we need all of you to be in that spirit of prayer. And I've said this many times again, or before, I'm going to say it again, it is, you have to look at it from a perspective on the spiritual realm. Because Satan has a lot of people in our church and those who might come and join us for this, even online, he has many of them in, their, in his bondage, in, in, in the prisons that he has created of doubt and deceit. And it's pretty much his trophy as he looks at all these followers of Jesus Christ 
children of God who are chained up and encaged because of the issues of their lives, sin has ravaged them. Now for us to now expose the truth and to open up those doors, the cage doors to set people free to get out of whatever it is that they're struggling with, you have to understand Satan and his demons on the spiritual realm will not allow that to happen very easily. So what he will do is he will come at you and he will come and attack you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, because what he wants you to do is to still stay in that cage. This is the reason why the only way we can fight this is through prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this to stand firm, and then as we're standing in the truth and the word of God, we then intercede and we pray because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the dark forces of this world, and therefore the only way we're going to be able to find victory in the things that we're trying to do is that when we are in prayer. This is why more than anything else in these 50 days, we're going to spend a lot of time in prayer. The encounter meetings that we're having on Friday are going to be just pretty much large prayer gatherings. We're going to pray. The things that we're structuring things for life group, we're not going to really do a lot of Bible study. We don't need any more knowledge. You already know. We're going to teach that on Sunday, but you're going to spend that time to reflect and also to pray, not only for yourself, but to pray for one another. And through the word of God that is renewing your mind, we're going to believe that many of you are going to be set free. So once again, Satan is not going to just roll over and play dead. He will fight you. And that's why, mark my words, and if, if it starts happening, you're like, wait a minute, I heard this before. I, I think Pastor Seth was mentioning this, so that instead of giving up, you will learn how to fight. I'm telling you right now, as we enter into the 50 days of freedom, some of you will start struggling a lot with sin. Some of you will start getting hopeless or getting discouraged and disappointed. Those are all the tactics and the weapons of the evil one. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're growing, but then you're going to be set back. Some of you are going to struggle with a lot of insecurities. So these things are going to be happening. I can guarantee it. And therefore, the only way we're going to be able to fight this is when we are in prayer. So can I encourage us, as the days are approaching, as we're getting closer to the start of the launch in the middle of June, of this 50 days of freedom, we need every single one of us to be in a spirit of prayer. And as you start life groups this week and the leaders share, we're praying that it will be a clear vision of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So with that, I'm praying that God will do some amazing things. So let me just start off by asking this question. What is it about generous people that makes them so influential and so likable? I haven't yet met a generous person that people hated. There's something about generosity that causes them to not only be likable, but they're very influential in society as well as in people's lives. I think all of us can at least think of one person in our lives that is generous that we could kind of think through, like, what is it about them? Why are they so appealing? What is it about them that they could step in a room and everyone just gravitates towards that person? What is it about generosity? And if you've ever been the recipient of someone else's generosity, you know how that makes you feel. And it feels good. 
because you realize many, many times you don't deserve anything, but they, out of their love for you, out of their care for you, and it could even just be a stranger where you just want to uh, lavish God's love on them that as you give, then you realize from their expression of that person who's receiving it, it it's a very addictive thing. In fact, it gives you this kind of like a dopamine hit. It is like a high that you're like, wow, I didn't know that I could make a difference if I were to give of my resources, give of my time, give of my, my talents that I have. I want to use it now to help other people. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, man, I, I, I know what that feels like as a recipient. Because whenever I'm meeting with somebody and it's over a lunch or a dinner or maybe even just for coffee and they end up, end up paying for it, it just warms my heart. I'm like, they didn't have to do it, but they wanted to do it because they wanted to bless me. And so when I receive it, it feels good. I think about when the life group time closes and I've gone through many, many life groups over the years. And then the members end up pitching in and getting a gift for the leader and the co-leader. You could talk to any leader. They, they feel appreciated. They feel blessed. If they're really self-centered, like, why couldn't they buy me a Tesla? You know, so, you know, <laughs> those things. But that's when they're really sinful. They're not doing it for God, but for themselves. Oh, it's just these little notes, you know. Every leader, you talk to them. They feel so blessed, so appreciated. I know I do. Even if it's just notes being sent, even if it's just a gift certificate, you just realize I'm a recipient of other people's generosity. I think about the times when uh, people anonymously, without knowing who it is, they wanted to bless my family. And so they give a gift certificate for a restaurant that is not just McDonald's, but we're talking about a nice restaurant where each of the items on the food cost close to, what, $700, $800. And they bless our family to say, you know what? And, you know, they write it in all these cryptic stuff, but they're just like, you know, bless the family and we're praying for you. And just stuff like that, you just realize, like, we don't deserve this, but it feels good knowing that you are a recipient of other people's generosity. And I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm, I'm going to try to not purposely try to embarrass them, or exalt them, but you know, I've been very blessed to work with great people. Great churches is always made up of great people. And I'm so blessed because I have about eight of these guys that were a part of the executive team that we're, we're, we're running this race together. We're trying to lead the church. And I was blessed because when they found out that I'm gonna go back to the States and for Elliot's graduation and we were gonna spend some time together as a family, they all pitched in out of their own hard-earned money and they pitched in and blessed us with some cash so we can use it during the vacation time. I, that was just prompted by the Holy Spirit. And out of their love for us and wanting and desiring for us to enjoy our time together as a family, I'm sharing all this because I know what it feels like to be a recipient of someone else's generosity, knowing that I did not deserve it, nor did I earn it. In many ways, the reason why it feels so good is that it gives you a window to the heart of God. It gives you a greater understanding and also appreciation for the gospel. We didn't deserve it, 
We didn't earn it, but it has been given to us freely by God through Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And so when we receive that grace, we receive the forgiveness, we receive his mercy, we receive his patience, we receive his kindness. When we don't deserve it, it does something to us. And there is power in leveraging resources so that it can be used for someone else's benefit. I think as I shared before, it becomes very addictive because when you see the joy in someone else's heart, that brings you joy. And when you experience this joy, then it becomes once again a cyclic thing because you want to do more of it. So when you start doing more of it, you see more joy being multiplied. And when you see that, it begins to fill your heart with greater joy and it just keeps on growing. There's this one person who is bringing joy and hope to people who are very disadvantaged in the west side and south side of Chicago. His name is uh, P. Candace, and he, he's, he's a Chicago millionaire, and he retired at the age of 40. Can I just get a good, good sign? Sure. How many of you guys would love to retire, retire as a millionaire at age 40? Come on now, all right? Some of us who are over 40 were like, oh, never mind. You know, my time has passed. But, but just think about it. At 40 years old, this man is retired, and he's already a millionaire. I want to show you this video because there was a uh, just a odd, kind of like an opinion piece or a news piece on him. I highlighted about his story. You can just check it out online. There's so much about him. The God is doing some amazing things. And I once again, I want you to see how one man's generosity is impacting and influencing people around him especially in the city of Chicago. So let's watch this together. What a great gift. Have you ever received a gift like that? Have you ever given a gift like that? I think the question for us that we have to think about this morning as we're taking an inventory about our generosity is simply, are you generous to God and to others? The reason why we need to do an inventory on generosity is because if you're not growing in generosity, it shows that you don't understand the gospel. And when you don't understand the gospel, you're going to gravitate toward a human paradigm and you're going to go back to your old way of life. I'm a firm believer that you cannot grow spiritually without being generous. And when you are generous, you will not only be blessed, but you will grow spiritually. This is why when you hear from the pulpit and you hear from us, some of the leaders what we always talk about when we talk about either tithes or offering or giving your time, your energy, because generosity is not just about money, but it's about who you are and everything that you have, your very breath that God has given you. Every single time we talk about generosity, we always put it in the context. It's not what we want from you, but what we want for you. And the reason why this is important, because many of us who are growing and who have been 
walking with the Lord for many, many years, one of the things that we have realized that is when we are generous, that means that we are understanding the gospel. And as we understand the gospel, that we want to give even more because God will never run short of resources that he will give unto us. And because of that, when we begin to understand that, we want this thing to be multiplied in the hearts of people. And so when we experience this joy and freedom, we want other people to experience it. That's why this is what we want for you. When we look at some of your lives and it's so caught up in this world, we realize not only the stress, but we understand the anxiety and some of the issues that you struggle with, the temptations, and we don't want that for you where it's overwhelming to the point where you don't even know if there's hope around you. But what we want for you is that you can experience this joy, experience this freedom, experience the, the laughter of being able to know that God is using you for his greater purpose. That's what we want for you. And so it's not so much what we're going to take from you, but what you're going to receive as you learn how to grow in generosity. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He said this. He said, God doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Tithing is God's way to grow Christians. So once again, it's not just tithing. It's about giving our time, giving our attention, giving our focus, our lives to other people around us. Are you just a general, a generally a generous person with everything that you have and everything that you are as a person. Generosity is God's way of growing us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it again. If you are not growing in generosity, you are not growing spiritually. That is an oxymoronic statement that you cannot say you're growing spiritually if you're not growing in generosity. In the same way, if you're growing in generosity, then it shows that you are growing in deeper understanding of the gospel. So the one thing is simply this. I'm going to talk about this morning. Having a heart of generosity comes from trusting God in our adversity. Because sometimes we go through difficult things in our lives, but what God is trying to shape and form in you is a heart of generosity. And I hope to expand, expand, uh, expound on this and to kind of tie it all into the life of Jesus Christ and what he offers to us is that having a heart of generosity, it comes from trusting God in our adversity. There are two things I'm going to highlight in the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. It might once again be a story that some of you might have heard when you were younger, but once again, I'm going to put it in the context of generosity, and maybe you have not heard it in this context, so I'm going to talk about it. There are two things we must remember about having a heart of generosity that comes from trusting God in our adversity. The first thing is this, we must believe for God's provisions. We must believe for God's provisions. In order to understand the passage for today, we need a little bit of background story about Elijah and his encounter with this widow. Now, if you look earlier in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, you will notice that Elijah prophesied that there will be a drought in the land. But one of the beautiful things that we see is that even though that was a form of punishment against Ahab and just the wickedness that was going on in that land, here's God who was still faithfully providing food for Elijah and through ravens. He could literally use animals to accomplish his purposes. 
And so these ravens will come and bring him bread and meat day and night, in the morning and the evening, so that he will be fed. And so there will be sustenance for Elijah to do the will of God. Elijah was also drinking from the brook that we see in verses 1 through 7. But eventually the brook dried up because there was drought in the land. And it is in this moment we come to chapter 17, verse 8. And I'm going to read the first three some verses, verse 8, 9, and 10. And we're going to draw out a little bit more understanding about this passage. So hopefully you've turned to that passage. If you haven't, like I said, it's going to be up there. And you can kind of uh, follow along. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him, referring to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to uh, Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Let's just pause here as we continue a little bit in what's going on in the background so you can understand the story. As I mentioned before, King Ahab was a king of Israel during this time. He was a very wicked king. In fact, what he did was he decided to denounce God, Yahweh, the Israel God, who was faithful to his forefathers and the forefathers before that, and he decided to worship the Baal gods. He, in fact, married Jezebel, who stirred his heart away from God, and they started worshiping these Baal gods. Later on in 1 Kings, you will also notice that it was Jezebel who was wanting to get rid of Elijah. And so therefore, here's God. He tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. Something like, if you don't know geography and you don't know anything about history, you're like, what's the big deal? It's just a name with a Z. But the point that you have to understand is in Sidon, this was one of the strangest commands that God was giving Elijah to do. Why? Because Zarephath and Sidon was the home, the epicenter of the Baal worship. This is where Jezebel was born, and this is her hometown. So here is Elijah giving a prophetic word against Ahab and some of these people who have disobeyed. And then God tells him after the ravens fed him and the brook has dried up, God tells him to go into the epicenter of the Baal worship. And Jezebel, who is after him, go to her hometown. Now, not only did that not make sense, but God tells Elijah there will be a widow who will feed Elijah. The problem with this is that widows during this biblical time were probably one of the poorest group of people. So if there's anybody who didn't have anything to give Elijah food, because they're starving themselves, would be widows. So not only does God tell Elijah to go to Zarephath, which is the epicenter of Baal worship, but he says that there's going to be a widow that you should find who will feed you. Now, this is the part that I want you to understand. How many of you know that there are a lot of times God tells you to do something that doesn't make sense? Can I get a good amen to that? Almost every single day. There are things that God speaks to us about or he reveals to us, and we think to ourselves, why is he telling us? Why, why is he making me do this? Why is he putting this before me? 
And this proves once again, you are finite and I'm finite in knowledge. How many times have we thought to ourselves, this doesn't make sense, or this is not the way it should be, or why is God doing this? And then a couple months later, a year later, we realize, oh, that, is, that, is, that was a perfect plan of God. And I'm not saying all the painful things are God wanting to make you suffer, but even through bad choices, God uses that so that he can bring you back in a loving relationship with him. So when you go through what you're going through in that moment, it doesn't make sense. But oftentimes it's after the fact, you look back and you realize, that's why I had to go through this. This is the reason why God was doing this in my life. Or this is the reason why in the midst of my sin, God was orchestrating things so that I could humble myself and turn to him. But here's Elijah, in the midst of things that doesn't make sense, he decides to trust in God, and he goes to Zarephath. And the interesting thing is, it seems like the first woman that he sees, or the first widow that he sees, he decides to ask her for a drink. Now, if you know anything about customs during this time, it is just a customary thing where you give them at least a drink of water. So he asks this widow to give him some water. So this is where we're going to learn about believing for God's provisions. There's a couple things I want to unpackage as we read the story a little bit further. A couple things. First thing is this. There's a challenge of outcome. Because when you don't know how things are going to turn out, the challenge for us is what is it we're going to do? So let's read verse 11 through 12. Let's look at these two verses. Look at what it says. And as she was going to bring it, bringing the water... He called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I want you to notice it's your God. It's not her God because she's not a believer. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat, eat it, and die. Let's just pause here for a moment. As the widow was getting the water to give to Elijah, Elijah makes this incredible ask. Can you give me some bread that's in your hand? And she's holding onto a jar and some oil, and she's like, uh, I haven't made the bread yet. And then she says what? And I only have enough for myself and my son, and I'm gonna bake this, and then we're gonna eat, and we're gonna die. Pretty much, she was probably starving. Her son was starving for many, many days. And then we see here, as she confesses that she doesn't have enough, just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, I want you to think about what the widow was thinking about and what she was feeling. I don't know about you, but if I was a widow, I'll be like, dude, man, I don't even have enough for myself. And I'm planning on cooking this, and then I'm going to die because we're dying of starvation. And this is where I want to challenge us. God is constantly working, and he's speaking to us because he wants us to believe and have faith in what he's doing and what he has said in his word. Because when you do, then the outcome is no longer in your hands, but it's in the Lord's hands. 
But I think sadly, too many of us, we fail to trust God and to obey him in his words. The reason why we don't believe in what God is saying and we don't trust in him is bottom line is we're fearful. We're afraid of losing something. We're afraid of not getting something. So fear is such a strong factor in our lives that causes us not to obey. And so what we see here is that this, this widow had this poverty mindset. She was thinking to herself, I don't have enough. That's the same way with us. We think to ourselves, when God says, I want you to, I want you to give me of your time, I, I don't have enough time. I have to do all this other stuff. But then when you look at your life, you had a lot of time. You just didn't need to watch that on Netflix. You just didn't need to go gaming. You didn't have to go out and just do nothing out there. And once again, it's perspective. Sometimes when God says, be faithful in your offering and your tithing and your giving, because I want you to grow through this, but with a, I, I don't have enough. And then when we look carefully, we realize you spent it on all this other stuff that's really for yourself alone instead of the things of God. And I think the interesting thing is that God simply asks us these questions. What is in your hand and what is it that you have? The widow only had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. She was trying to gather some wood, some sticks, so she could make fire and bake this and then eat and die with her son. This is the question God is asking you this morning. What is in your hand? Can I have everyone just take your hand and just kind of put it right in front of you? You're like, I see bacteria. No, you can't see. I don't know. It's like dirty. Like, ask your, God is asking, what is in your hand? What is it that you have? And for many of us, our mindset and the poverty mindset will say, oh, if, if I become like that person and make a lot of money because I'm going to start my own business, then I'll give. Then I'll bless other people. But God is saying, what is in your hand? What is it that you have? Oh, when I finish school and I have more time, <laughs> this is when single adults are laughing at you because right now you have the most time, college students. Right now, until you turn... 60 and you know your kids are all off to school and you have more time but i'm telling you right now everything from this point on from university your time factor it begins to shrink and just the demands it will start escalating so only if i if i had this if i kind of grew up in this kind of background if i had this kind of experience then i can you fill in the blank do you remember Moses when he was commanded by God to go speak to Pharaoh? And Moses didn't think that he had what it took to do it. So, so what did God do? Let's look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let's read this and read the yellow section with me. It says this, but Moses protested again. And what did he say? Come on, say this. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what? What if? is in your hand. And then Moses responds and he says, a shepherd's staff, the stick. Moses replied, and then throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform the sign. 
the Lord told him, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. See, a lot of times we think like Moses, I don't have what it takes. I don't, I don't have much. And simply God is asking you, what is in your hand? What is in your possession? You have breath, you have life, you have a roof over your head. Some of you might be struggling financially, but God is simply saying, what is it that you have? What is in your hand? Do you remember Jesus feeding the 5,000? Same story. If you look at this in Matthew, this is what it says. It says, but Jesus said they, they need not go away because they wanted to try to get rid of all these people that were following Jesus. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't send them away. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, come on, we only. We have only, or we only have five loaves here and two fish. And what does Jesus say? He says, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So he fed more than 5,000 because it didn't even count the women and the children. What is in your hand? What is before you? The amazing thing about God is that he's simply asking us because he's going to take care of the rest. And then once again, as I mentioned earlier, the problem is that we are fearful that if we give God everything, then there is some doubt that maybe God will not deliver us or nor will he provide for us. That's the fear. That's what causes you to live in greed. That's what causes you to do everything for yourself because deep inside you are fearful that God will not deliver on his promise, that he will not provide for you. That is the unbelief, which oftentimes leads you to bondage issues of wanting to do things or have things because you think that there's not enough. Here's the second thing that we notice. We're, we're talking about this believing in the provisions of God that he has for us. And so he challenges us with the outcome. And in many ways, you don't know the outcome. You got to trust in him. Another thing you will notice is there was a choice of obedience. Let's look at verse 13 through 16. He goes on in the story, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. So once again, we see this. It's fear that causes people to do what they do. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord ends rain upon the earth. Amazing. Let's finish off with verse 15 and 16. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Do you see what's happening? She had a choice. 
Am I going to be fearful and say, this is what I have and I'm not going to share it with anybody. This is just for me and my son and we're going to die. Or is she going to believe what Elijah is saying is that if you would do this, then your, the flour and the oil will not run out. You will continue to have it until the drought ends and the rains come back. That's why he reassures her, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. But he's challenging her to make some bread for himself or for him. So here's Elijah who gives her this promise about what is going to happen if she would just obey. And the incredible part is that she had to trust and believe in his promise that God would sustain and provide for her until the drought was gone. What did she do? She ended up doing what Elijah said. And then in verse 15 and 16, as we have just read, we see that God did everything that he said he was going to do. God honored her faith. God honored her trust in him, and he gave her the provisions. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He says this, in all my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. The truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. And if you talk to anybody who is generous and who keep on wanting to give to other people, give more of themselves, more of their time, they will testify how this is true. You can never outgive God because as soon as you give what is already his, that he will provide whatever it is that you need so that you can continue to do what he has called you to do. So as you're shoveling out, just try to picture this in your, in your mind. You're shoveling things out and you're putting it out. Like the, here are the blessings and you're sh giving out to people. And then it's almost like God comes with a dump trunk and pours more in there. Like stop, God. He's putting more in. And I want to challenge us to think about this because there are some of you in this room with this poverty mindset and thinking that you don't have enough. And I'm just wondering if some of us, we're not experiencing the blessings of God and the things that we see here in Scripture and experiencing miracles in our lives and God working in our lives because we have opted for turning inward and being fearful that God will not be true to his word. See what he will do if with what little that you have, as he says, what is in your hand? He goes, this is all I have, God. And we offer it to him and we give it to him and see God work in your life. That's why one of the things that we teach is don't just come and do your tithe and that's it. One of the things that we teach about is learning how to give a Thanksgiving offering. There are many times where God answers a prayer. There's many times when God works in your heart, works in your life. Like, for instance, at this past weekend in this conference, at the Ignite conference, you saw God working and speaking to you. And so your heart is thankful. So you come to God with a Thanksgiving offering and you're saying, God, thank you because you have blessed me in ways that I did not deserve. It's in those little things like that. What you're doing is you're expressing, God, everything that I have, everything that I own, everything about my life, it is not my own, but it's all you. It's all yours. And I'm just giving back to you the very thing that you've given me. And as soon as I give it back to you, then you bless me with more. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it, but you continue to give me more. 
and I've seen this so true in my life and so many other people I've talked to who are generous people, is that as soon as you give in obedience to God, you realize the blessing starts coming. And you're like, wait a minute, this could feed into a works mindset. If I give more, then God will bless me more? Not necessarily. When you do things in obedience to the very thing that he has spoken to you about, then what he's saying is this person can be trusted. I'm going to give him more. In the same way, if, how, okay, don't raise your hand. How many of you have that friend that's like, hey, can you just, uh, can you pay for me? I'll, I'll FPS you later. I, I will pay me you later. You know that friend. Well, maybe they're not a, your friend anymore. You know that person. They never do. They're always taking. And they take it for granted that you're going to always somehow provide for them. And you're like, man, I'm tired of this. And it is so easy to kind of think to yourself, you know what? Like, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. Now, I'm not trying to promote, like, keep on, like, giving without any accountability. No, of course not, because sometimes they need to learn. But one of the things that you begin to realize about gener generous people and generosity is that when we are faithfully giving to the things that God has called us to give, whether it's our money, our time, our energy, when we are faithfully doing that, God provides for us in ways that we will never have imagined on our own. Are you experiencing these types of blessings in your life? I'm wondering if some of us have a poverty mindset and we don't believe in God's promises of his provisions. When you're confronted with a challenge to trust in God for your daily sustenance, do you start fearing and turning to yourself or do you have peace and believe that God will provide? It's sometimes through trusting God in our adversity when we gain this heart of generosity. Let me close with the second point because we're talking about how we got to believe for his provisions. The second thing that we see here is that we must not only believe for our provisions, but we must believe in God's power. And we have to connect what God is able to do especially when it comes to this topic of generosity. After this experience of God's miraculous provision, we see that the story begins to take a turn. It's interesting. It's almost as if, wow, this is a great miracle. The oil and the flour is not running out. We're able to eat for days. Then all of a sudden, there's a change in the story. So what I'm going to help you to see is that there are two things that we notice about having faith and believing in God's power, especially when it comes to the adversities and when it comes to generosity. The first thing that you have to understand is that our faith will be tested. Come on, everyone say that. Our faith will be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. Let's go ahead and read verse 17 through 21. This is what it says. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. Verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? 
Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Do you see what's happening? Here she is, she obeyed God's word and the word of Elijah, and she saw this miracle. It was she she believed and trusted for God's provision, and he was true to that. And all of a sudden, some days later, we see that the son is pretty much dead. He, the breath has left him. So what is it that we see about having faith and believing in God's power? As I mentioned, the first thing is that our faith will be tested. I want you to understand here that the widow automatically assumes that God was punishing her for her sins. That's why in verse 18, she says, "Why? Uh, what have you against me? And the thing that I want to highlight for us, and this is very important, is that this is the mindset of so many people who have a human paradigm. We assume that suffering and sin are connected together. Suffering, pain, they're connected to sin, which causes us to try to work and try harder, doesn't it? It's kind of like, you have a presentation tomorrow. And you haven't been spending time with God. You haven't done your soap. You haven't prayed. You haven't done anything. You haven't even come out to life group. But this presentation is going to make you or break you in your job. Guess what happens? You come into life group. They haven't seen you for a long time, but you come. They're like, hey, we haven't seen you for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I just felt really compelled and led by the Lord to come. BS, because you have a presentation tomorrow and you're scared. Here you are, part of these WhatsApp groups, and your name is never showing up. Then all of a sudden, bing, like, wow, they did their soap in like five years. No, just like in like five months. And then you begin to talk with them and you realize, oh, this past weekend, you know, or this coming week, they have... The promotion is on the line or they have to make some decisions. Ah. Or that person who might have sinned and they feel so guilty, so they want to cleanse themselves, so they try to do more things. Try to do more spiritual things. You have a human paradigm where it says that somehow if I do something bad, then I could do more good things and it will balance each other out. Or if I do all of these good things, God has to give me these things. That's not the gospel. And so here's this woman who's not a believer because she says, you're God. And here she is, and she's saying, wait a minute, my son, I've experienced this miracle, but here's my son, he's dead. And he goes, what have you against me? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Is it because you're here and because you see my sin? And I thought it was interesting because even Elijah was a bit uncertain. He was uncertain why this tragedy was coming to this widow and her son. Because he he's talking to God and goes, yeah, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But then what does he do? He carries the son, the boy, to the bedroom. He stretches himself over the boy three times. And what does he do? He prays for healing and the restoration of this boy's life. 
And this is another miracle. We see later on that this boy comes to life. Can I just encourage us with this? There are many things in your life that you're going through and you will go through. And what God is doing is he's trying to test you in your faith. Why? Because he's trying to build perseverance. We'll talk about this next week on grit. I, I get it. We live in a generation of social media. Where there's all these different things that light up and put our minds on fire. So, so many of you struggle with mental health, anxiety disorders. There are a lot of things when you were young you should not have gone through that literally messed up your, your mind. And maybe no blame or fault to you, but you've gone through things in your life, sometimes tra traumatic things, that it has impacted you in the way you live your life, the way you see yourself, the, the, the emotion that you go through. And sometimes depression, it's not just, oh, that person does not have hope. Sometimes it's a physiological thing, a chemical imbalance in the brain. So there's a lot of factors that are involved. We cannot nail it to one thing. So I get it. But I do want to challenge us to think about this. Is that as we're talking about so many of the issues that we're going through in our lives, we have come to the point where we're just like, you know what? Like, I give up. We have too many people who quit in everything. You know, when you hear about those people who work at the same company for 30 years, I mean, to me, you will never see that in this generation. So when things get a little bit hard in life group, there's relational conflict, we, we just drop off on the face of this earth. That's why it shows you're not ready for marriage because you're going to go through conflict every single day. Are you going to drop off from marriage? Wait until you have kids and they're going to get on your nerves and you wish that they were never born in some ways. You feel it, but you don't really mean it, but you feel it. And I'm telling you right now, that are you going to stop being a father, stop being a mother? If persecution hits ever in Hong Kong or just anywhere, And it's too difficult, and you give up on this Christianity. It doesn't work for me. So what God is trying to do is he's trying to build greater perseverance in your life. He's testing your faith so that it can get stronger. And I always tell people, when you are being tested in your faith, you should rejoice. Why? It is a sign that God has something for you. Think about it this way. Let's say that your plan in your life is to be an Olympic skater, ice skating. And here you are as a little kid, you're just thinking to yourself like, mom, I don't want to go skating. I don't want to do this in the morning. But your mom is like, no, no, we talked about it. You wanted to do this. And you give up. You won't get to where you need to go and where you need to be. But if you learn how to persevere and through that's when you start realizing now the dreams have become true. Let me put it this way. I hated this thing. My parents made me practice piano. I hated it. I hated it with a passion. I wanted to go, gong, 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 gong. I just like, ah, oh, I hated it. Like literally my brother and I, my younger brother and I, we would fight who would practice first with our piano teacher. So as soon as we're finished, we're out playing outside, playing sports and stuff. 
I hated this thing. But if I persevered, I think it would have been fun. Now as I'm older, and when you start appreciating different things, you're like, oh, I wish I would have played longer. I don't know how to read music. They just look like dots, black dots. But I know chords because I play guitar. And so from chords and guitar, I could figure it out. But I was thinking to myself, if I persevered, I could have probably excelled a little bit more than where I am right now. That's like with so many things in life. You give up too easily. God is trying to strengthen you. That's why he's testing you so that you can gain this perseverance you need. That's why if you remember in the book of Romans, we talked about this. What does it say? It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. So rejoicing in it. Because we know that what? Come on, say this. Suffering produces perseverance. So all the pain, all the struggles you're going through, it is to produce perseverance in your life. Why? Because perseverance is going to produce character. And character, what is it going to do? It's going to produce hope in your life. Some of you live so depressed without any hope. It's because you have not have built up your character. And your character cannot be built up without perseverance. And the only way you're going to build this perseverance is through suffering and difficulties and trials in your life. So even as we get started, you're like, you know what? I quit. That's why you don't have perseverance. And because you don't have the perseverance, you don't have the character. And people can tell you don't have the character. Some of you are like, I want to do all this stuff, but you don't have the character to do that. And because you don't have the character, it's easy for you to just like, oh, I'm hopeless. You, you rarely see a person who has character and they feel hopeless. Rarely. Because character shows you that they're more mature. They're able to see things, that everything in this world is not it. It's going to pass away. So that's why they're more hopeful. And what does hope do to us? It does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Look at what it says in the book of James, and you know this very well. It says this in James chapter 1. It says, Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, come on, say this, develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish this work. That means that it's going to keep on going in your life so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When it's hard to be generous, and trust in God to provide. Remember that God is testing us so that we can be generous and to give and believe that he will work. And lastly, our faith will not only be tested, but this is the beautiful part. I love this. Our faith will be a testimony. Look at verse 22, 24 in closing. We see here, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah as he was praying over this boy the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of a child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chambers into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. What a testimony. God heard Elijah's prayer 
and the boy came back to life through God's power. And Elijah brought the boy down to the mom and showed that it was a miracle of God. And this miracle caused the woman to believe that Elijah was indeed the man of God and that God's promises are true. In fact, it probably showed her because this is in Zarephath where they worshiped the Baal gods, that it probably showed her and those around her who probably heard the story that Yahweh, God, that Elijah followed is greater, stronger, and more powerful than all the Baal gods. How about us this morning? When we face adversity and difficult situations, are we dependent on God and are we in prayer? After you felt convicted about something, did you face a trial or a test in your life? If you did, then I'm telling you right now, God is trying to work in you for something greater. Do you see your trust in God as an opportunity for you to witness and to testify about who God is? I think one of the most beautiful things is when you see people who are struggling through things, but they can still have joy. It becomes a powerful witness. There's something powerful when you know that that person doesn't have much resources, but they still give. It's a powerful testimony to what God's provisions and his power can do in that person's life. And the thing about all this is that it gives us a glimpse of the gospel. Why? Because look at this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. It says this, For you are recognizing more clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his astonishing kindness, his what? Generosity, his gracious favor, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich, which is abundantly blessed. I'm going to read it from the message translation. Listen to what it says. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he what? Gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. Jesus Christ had everything. But he gave all that up to come into this earth. To live a sinless life. And he lived this life, and he ultimately paid the price. He gave all of himself, and he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. So now, if we put our faith in him, that all of his riches, everything that he represents about God and heaven, that is all ours now, because it was for our sake that he became poor so that we may become rich. That's the beauty of the gospel that when you understand that, then what it does to you is that I have the opportunity now that I am so blessed, I am so rich. I might not have a lot of money, but I'm rich in the sense of the fullness of all that I can experience, all the spiritual blessings that I have that are in Christ, that I'm willing to give all of these things to others so that they may also experience these things. This should motivate us so even though you're facing some adversity right now in your life, maybe some of you are struggling financially, maybe some of you guys are struggling with time, some of you might be struggling, what is my purpose in life? Whatever you're facing and whatever you're going through, when you understand the gospel of what Christ has done 
and he was generous towards you, then what you're saying is, and God says, what is in your hand? God, I don't have much, but this is what I have. And I want you to use me. I want you to use everything that is about me so that you will be glorified and you then bless other people. I'm telling you right now, it will, it will, it will be kept. I can't even think of the word. It will be catalytic and it will catapult you in your spiritual growth. When I think about all the times that I grew spiritually, it was when I was being stretched as I was serving him as a college student, as a seminarian. When I was being stretched and I felt like I couldn't give any more, but I said, God, this is all I have. And he took that in faith. And as I did it in faith, he took that and he multiplied it. And I realized there was so much joy that came, even though it was tiring, even though there were a lot of all-nighters, even though it was like exhausting, that I could rejoice because I see how the impact of what little I had, I'm able to bless other people. When I think about those times when even my wife and I, we decided we're going to bless people in this, this way, and sometimes very anonymously, what we have seen is when we see the, the their look on their faces of how God answered their prayer, it's the best when they go like, oh, I have a praise to share. We're like, oh, what's going on? They go, oh, my God, someone just gave anonymously, and it was just like exactly what we, we're like, wow. You know, but, you know, deep inside, you know, my wife and I were like, oh, you know, we're like, yeah. Because if they knew it was from us, you know what they'll say? Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor's wife, Christina. You guys are the best. You guys are awesome. That's why some of you who are so, have an overestimation of your struggle with pride, you need to do a lot of things, more things in secret. So that you won't receive the glory of how awesome you are, but God will. To be able to do things because it's not about you now, because you are seeing that you're just an instrument, and that's why it is a blessing when you can actually bless people and they don't know who did it. It's the best. Because they're trying to figure out, okay, whose handwriting? It looks like a girl's handwriting, you know? Oh, who, who, you know, who, who gave me this? I know it's hard to do it with the FPS, you know, the, the fast, whatever the FPS. I'm getting all these initials mixed up. Because you have to give your name, who's from, all the stuff. But like when it's like done anonymously, it's the best because they try so hard to figure it out. And guess what? They get exhausted. They go, okay, fine, forget it. It was God. Thank you, God. That's the best. That is the gospel. That's why anyone who has been touched by the gospel, you understand the gospel, that it is free, that you don't deserve it, that he gave up his riches for you to then be rich in him. And so that as he became poor, he did it for us. In the same way that you are willing to lay down everything because you know and you experience this in Christ, you want other people to experience it. The reason why there are times when I could be generous and even my wife, we could be generous and we could be generous even as a church is because we've experienced that. People blessed us. People bought us dinners. People then gave us, bought us coffee. So in that same way as we're blessed, we want to bless other people. I pray that that will be the spirit in our church, the spirit of generosity that will flow in everything that we do. Yes, we're busy, but I have time for you. I want to be able to listen. I want to pray for you, brother. I want to pray for you, sister. I pray that will be the spirit in our church, that we're generous with our time. We're generous with our resources. We're generous with our talents, that we're going to use it for the glory of God. So the one thing, once again, is having a heart of generosity comes from trusting God 
in our adversity. Let me give us some quick next steps. Now, this is not sequential, but these are key elements that you need to be able to do inventory in your life to see if you are generous or not. The first thing is this, work out your view of God. That's one of the first things you got to do. You got to think about what is your view of God because the way you view God is going to be the way you're going to respond in generosity. If you think that he's a cheap God, he doesn't deliver on his promise, then you're going to be cheap and you're just going to protect because out of fear. I want you to think about this. If you don't think he's powerful to intercede and work in your life, to provide for you, to bring forth miracles, then you're not going to trust in him. You're going to trust in yourself. So work out your view of God. That's why you got to get into the word because the Bible tells us what kind of God that he is. And you know what? In my spirit, this is what I felt. And I'm just going to share it. I was going to share it when I felt it, but I'm going to share it now. As I was reading this passage, some of you had this probably thought in your mind like, God, it sounds like Jonah being eaten by a whale kind of story, like fairy tale. How can flour and oil, when there's a little bit of it, that somehow it multiplies? Your skepticism, your cynicism. That just shows you right now that you don't understand that when they call it supernatural, it means that it is above and beyond what's natural. Are you with me? Amen. That's in its definition, that's what a miracle is. That you don't do anything, it's all God. Because you have worshiped yourself and you are God yourself. And this is the challenge for us. Do what is your view of God? Some of you have so little faith because you have not de deeply delved yourself into the Word of God. Your view of God has been shaped by your past experiences and all these things that people tell you, but do you know who God is? I pray that many of us can testify to who He is and what He has done. The second thing is this, weigh your resources with an eternal perspective. You know, I think one of the saddest things is these people who have so much money and they put it in the bank account, and all of a sudden, when they pass away, it just sits there. But I'm trying to live a legacy. I'm trying to give it to my kids. Okay, point taken. A heritage, whatever the case, fine. Leave some for your kids. It was kind of like my, my kids when they were younger. Because they will always have their favorite food. You know their favorite food? So what do they do with their favorite food? Do they eat it? Do they, do they eat their favorite food? No, you save it, right? Because it's your favorite food. But you know what the problem is with saving your favorite food? You start eating all this other stuff, and by the time you're about to eat your favorite food, what happens? You're full. So you cannot eat your favorite food. This is the plight of human nature. We save, we try to do all this stuff for ourselves, some one day, and we just never do it. It's like that couple that says, we'll go on vacation, but someday. And then one of them dies, and they've never been able to go. I'm not saying YOLO, okay? I'm not saying just throw it all and just do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to say is this. If your end goal is to make all this money and then you die with all this money in your bank account with nothing that to show for that all I'm going to say to you is you've missed a point. Your goal is to, yes, make as much as you can, but to give and to spend as much as you can for the kingdom of God. Can I get a good amen to that? When you die, your bank account should be zero because you have given it all away. 
to your kids, to your family, to, uh, you know, different causes you believe in? How sad is that when you save all this stuff? For what? So make sure you weigh your resources with this eternal perspective. I want to spend my time, my money, and things on things that will last forever. Eternal. Number three is watch your spending. It doesn't mean that you can't spend, but this is what I'm trying to say when I say watch your spending. Ask yourself, where does most of my money go to? Look at your daily, weekly, monthly bank account, all the statements. And one way to check it out is this. Oh, I spent it here. I spent. If it's all on you, 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 then once again, your spending is all about you. Oh yeah, this is when I bless somebody. Yeah, I, I, I gave this to someone. I gave this much, my percentage to the Lord and His work. And I'm, I'm just gonna... I'm just going to be forthright about this because I'm looking at this sheet and we're 140,000 behind in our budget budget that we have set forth. And I was just sitting back there and I was thinking, wow, 140,000. And if 150 people all gave 800, 900, we'll be able to cover that like in an instant. But see, we don't have any problem spending $800, $900 on ourselves. No problem. So sometimes what we got to do is we got to be able to watch our spending. Where is our spending going to? If it's all about us, then you're forgetting the eternal things. I love what Randy Alcorn said. Alcorn, he said in his book, The Treasure Principle, really good book. He says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Can I get a good amen to that? This is something that every single adult should believe in. Because a lot of times when you get out of college and you start working, I'm going to tell you right now, it is one of the most incredible feelings. Now I could buy my stereo system. Now I could buy all this stuff. In the States, people start buying cars. And what people have done is that because with more resources, they start elevating their standard of living. And once again, there's nothing wrong with that. You could drive a Tesla. I'll just be jealous, but you could drive a Tesla. You could do a lot of stuff because you are free in Christ. But if everything is about you and it's about your greed, then something is wrong. God does not give you resources so you can elevate your standard of living. But as he says here, he gives you more resources because he's entrusting you and believing in you that you will use it to bless other people and build up the kingdom of God. So you raise up the standard of giving rather than the standard of living. You said how much you feel like is a reasonable amount and anything above that is just resources that you can use to bless other people. Can I just stop here and say this to some of you? I don't know, I feel led to say this. Some of you who don't come from wealthy families, some of you who right now are struggling financially, it's so easy to lose this point because you're like, well, I don't have anything. I don't have that much. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a dangerous spirit because if you cannot give when you have little, you will never be able to give when you have a lot. So you got to start developing it now when you don't have much that you can still be able to find the time to be able to find the resources 
to bless other people. Because when you could do it with a little, you will be able to do it with a lot. If you can't do it with a little, you won't be able to do it with a lot. So make sure you watch your spending. Number four is welcome accountability. Ask people, hey man, am, am I a generous person? No, you're not, man. Teach me how, how, how you're so generous, because I've seen that and it just blesses me. Welcome accountability. Have, that doesn't mean, here's my bank account, here's my password, and all that stuff. It's going to be gone, all right? Don't do that. But welcome accountability to say, hey, can you make sure that I'm tithing every single uh, week, every month? C can you make sure that I'm being generous and I'm giving? Can you make sure that when I say, hey, I'll pay you later, that I actually pay you back? Now everyone's like, pay me back, pay me back. Welcome accountability. Lastly, witness through your generosity. When Christians are generous, it becomes a powerful witness to the rest of the world. We should be the most generous people, philanthropic people. We, we are giving in, in philanthropy, in finding causes that we can bless. Because what's really sad is when I see people who are not believers, they give more than Christians. But I'm like, wait, they don't understand the gospel. But many people do it for themselves to feel, lift up their ego, to put a name on a building, all that kind of stuff. But as Christians, we have more the reason to be generous than anyone else. Can I just make a little side comment? Because I don't, once again, there's so many things running through my mind. So I'm going to shut up after this. Some of you are going to still have this works mindset that says, well, after a message like this, I'm just going to start blessing everybody. Everyone in this restaurant, lunch is on me. Because I want to be generous. And all of a sudden you get this bill and you can't pay and you're in jail because you're bankrupt. <laughs> Don't be foolish. That is not what we're advocating, nor should you do that. But I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit if He's telling you to be faithful and bless people or bless in other ways. Listen to Him and obey and do it in faith, welcome the accountability, and see what God would do. I wanna close, how many of you guys heard of Tony Robbins? Have you heard of him? I don't know if he's a Christian or not. All I know is that he's a motivational speaker. He's like a professional coach, developer of people. He shares a powerful story about his life, an, instant, uh, an incident that he went through when he was a child, a kid. And he said, it is that one experience that changed the course of his life. And he shares a story that he encountered. And it's so powerful. It was, it was so moving. Because it is a story of generosity. And how generosity begets generosity. And as I shared before, it is addictive. Because when you experience that there's so much joy, and you see the joy in that person's face, you want more of it. That's why it is what we want for you. Not what we want from you. I pray that every single person in our church will experience the joy of being generous because they have experienced the generosity of God. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.